Hello everyone, welcome to Nerd Unscripted. This is your host, Tony Leidig, and welcome to another show. Um, as you well know, I have a new grandson now, and uh, thank you, Anne, for your congratulations, and for all of you who say congratulations on Facebook, I appreciate it. Um, he is quite the cutie, and um, his name is Christopher David... And uh, it'll be interesting to watch him grow. Uh, some of you know that every year um, around the holidays, I started, I guess, maybe three or four years ago, something like that, to create fantasy portraits of all of my grandchildren. And so that number keeps increasing <laughs> as I produce them. And so I think this year is year four. Um, if I remember correctly, and um, it's been a lot of fun to do those, and I've already started planning this year's. I wanted to do something a little bit different. Um, like with Charlie Bear, for instance, I've pretty much stuck to space themes, um, just for whatever random reason. That just kind of seems how it worked out. And uh, my other grandson, Wyatt, has always loved animals and so most of his are animal theme related but this year i decided to do something different i'm in the beginning stages of working on a novel and uh it's a fantasy kind of thing and so what i've thought about doing is actually taking each of my five grandchildren and turning them into characters that are in the novel and creating a visual so that you know, they might be fairies or whatever. Um, and so each picture will still be individual of them in some kind of a fantasy setting. But my goal, and I haven't fully thought this through yet, I have a little bit of time, is to uh, make it so that all five pictures could be assembled together for one large panoramic kind of view. Um, so anyways... It's going to be fun, and, uh, you know, as we get closer to the end of the year, I'm sure I'll be sharing some of the interesting things that I'm doing with it, because I'm still thinking through a lot of the process um, together with, you know, preparing for the novel and stuff like that. I'm probably going to be participating in NaNoWriMo, um, which is in November uh, for Novel Writing Month. And uh, so I'm in the prep stages now. But anyway, I just thought I'd share that. It's kind of fun. And uh, with Christopher now, um, that'll just add to the fun of it all with him being little. So anyway, um, I thought we could talk about something a little bit different today than what we've discussed. I don't remember that we've talked about this in the past. I honestly didn't look at the list of previous shows. And if we did, yay, we'll talk about it again. Um, I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos, and um, there's some folks that I follow that uh, talk a lot about fringe theories and those kinds of things. And so it just kind of piqued my curiosity again, and that's about um, hollow earth, hollow earth theory or inner earth. And... As a kid, I, I loved reading science fiction, and one of my favorites was Journey to the Center of the Earth, you know. And uh, 
probably many of you have read that book as well. I mean, it's been around since the 1860s. So, um, you know, anything Jules Verne for me was a good read. I always enjoyed the way he viewed life. Um, but it was kind of one of those things, you know, that kind of makes you scratch your head and wonder what if. I mean, you know, we've been told the official story of how things are with the earth, you know, and that we have a hot molten core and that, you know, all the planets or planets, all the plates just kind of float on this sea of molten lava and all of that kind of stuff. And that's all well and good. Unfortunately, it doesn't explain a lot of the uh, scientific anomalies that also um, take place regarding the Earth, like its magnetosphere and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, which is why I've even, you know, given it any attention at all, is because, you know, it's nice to have theories and it's nice to sell um, the status quo, what you want them to know and understand. But it's another thing to know what real truth is. And I'm not saying that uh, hollow earth is a thing, you know, any more than flat earth is a thing, which obviously it's not. But um, there's some very curious arguments made that make you kind of scratch your head. Uh, for instance, um, from the research that I've seen and done, the furthest we've ever been able to drill down into the Earth's mantle is eight miles. And, um, and, that, and that took 20 years. It was a 20-year process. The Russians did it a while back. And as they pulled out those cores, they made some interesting discoveries. Uh, one was water. They found a lot of water um, that was in the rock. And they estimate that there's more water deep within the earth, um, like 40 times what's currently in our oceans. Uh, which is very interesting. And uh, beyond that, they also found fossils. So, you know, if like asteroid, an asteroid really did kill off the dinosaurs, which there's some evidence to support that, why the hell are fossils eight miles under the earth? I think it's a valid question. You know, like there's no asteroid that pushed dinosaurs eight miles into the earth it's just not possible and so that's one of those things that kind of makes you scratch your head and then of course you know there's cavern systems that um many of which we're aware of that don't necessarily go down deep some do uh, more than others but uh, more and more discoveries are being made all the time at least that we hear about of massive cavern systems all over the world that have some very unique properties to them. I mean, they just recently discovered a cavern system, I forget where it was, and they went into it and it contained like 15 foot high crystals, which I don't know if you saw any of those pictures. It's crazy. I mean, it's just pretty amazing to see crystals that grew that large. And so whenever you start to look at things like that, like I'm a natural skeptic. I'm probably the ultimate conspiracy theorist because I've never been one to just like, I am about as opposite a status quo person as you can get because, you know, I believe that it's smarter to question everything 
than to just take it all hook, line, and sinker. And that's probably one of the reasons why I was at odds with a lot of people growing up, including my parents, because I was always asking why. Um, drove them crazy. <laughs> I mean, God bless them for uh, putting up with me and not taking me out in the process. But, um, you know, I always wondered why. Like, it just, there's just some things that, you know, many folks will take hook, line, and sinker because it sounds somewhat plausible and they never actually dig to see what the real narrative is. You especially see that today. Um, there's so much bullshit in the news anymore. Like this current thing about the climate deal and that teenage girl going crazy. Like, first of all, why are, um, you know, teenage girls trying to dictate our um, policies regarding climate change? You know, whose parents just happen to be actors and you know, movers and shakers in another country. Like, why on earth would we even pay attention to somebody like that? What the hell's wrong with people to even think that? You know, and so, of course, we also know that, um, you know, if you look at Big Brother type stuff, you know, whether it's the government or the church or whoever, you know, they, of course, know best in how to protect, you know, us little peons from freaking out, you know, God forbid we find out that we're not the only ones in the universe or that there's other shit going on in a planet because next thing you know, just kind of like the people who stormed Area 51 last week, you know, they admit that the earth is hollow or that there's massive cave systems that contain other races of people and the next thing you know, everybody's going to try to find it and go there. And we can't have that, can't lose control. So, you know, you spin the story however you need to, to keep people under control, like Liz says, propaganda. And that's absolutely it. If you've ever, uh, if you're ever looking for a very intriguing book to read, um, there's a book out called Propaganda. It was written by Edward Bernays in 1928. And it's essentially um, a playbook for today's fake news. I mean, if it's, it's kind of uncanny um, how accurate it was written back then. I mean, he's considered the father of public relations, okay? Um, but PR was developed to manipulate people to, to do or buy or believe certain things, like why, uh, like one of the earliest um, things that he used it for uh, in his quote-unquote public relations was to convince women that it was stylish to smoke cigarettes. And, um, and of course, it's been used in a lot of different ways since then. And he has another book out that is a little bit earlier, uh, written earlier called Crystallizing Public Opinion. Um, that one's actually in the public domain. It's, it's also a pretty fascinating read. I've read them both. And he has some very interesting insights. And after reading those books and then listening to, you know, the different... Um, narratives that were fed today, I would say that's probably, you know, one of the biggest contributing factors to me being so skeptical about anything that we're told. Because um, we are, you know, we need to be controlled. 
people in power need us to be controlled. And the only way they can do that is through fear or misinformation or whatever. Plausible deniability. You know, that uh, phrase kind of made popular through the TV show The X-Files. Got to maintain plausible deniability. Uh, So it could be true, could not be true. You know, who knows? You know, they have, back whenever uh, there was some honesty in media, things were portrayed a little bit different, especially, you know, um, before the time of World War II. Um, Whenever, before they really started figuring out that they could use propaganda to sway public opinion. And so that's when, you know, we started hearing reports about uh, Admiral Byrd discovering a hole in the North, um, at the North Pole. Um, You know, that's when that, like his uh, diary, I guess, um, he had an entry in there about that. And, you know, there were different uh, bits of information that were coming out related to all of that. And again, I'm not saying that I necessarily believe that it's true. I can't personally prove that it isn't true. You know, there's some interesting science that could give credence to it, and there's some interesting science that can disprove it. So, to me, it's a wash one way or the other. But some of the things that I've read um, are very interesting. And if you view Hollywood as um, uh, an information machine for disclosure you know, where it's a way of preparing people or desensitizing people to certain things, then there's some interesting observations that we can make. Like, for one thing, there have been a number of reports related to inner Earth or hollow Earth that a lot of the plants there are bioluminescent. Why is that so hard to believe? You know, we see them that when we go to the greatest depths of the ocean, there are plants and animals down there that are exactly that that they're bioluminescent. I mean, think about it. You're seven miles under the water and all of a sudden you see light. <laughs> it kind of freak you out a little bit, I think. And, you know, here comes this blind fish with these weird things over its eyes and stuff and it's glowing. Um, you know, so it's not really a stretch. And of course, there's even beaches around the world where you that you can go and you can live. I just saw a picture the other day. I forget where it was. Um, where you can literally see at night the bioluminescent plants glowing. So it's not like a real big stretch that something like that would be true. But then consider movies like The Avatar or Avatar, where, you know, at night that whole planet practically uh, in the movie just glowed in the dark. So, yeah, why not? Um, there's also been discussions about how. There could be other life, you know, whether they're humans or aliens or other, you know, dinosaurs even, um, that live under the planet. Why is that such a big stretch? You know, because here's the thing, like, even if the Earth wasn't hollow and we just had a lot of massive caverns, there's a lot there that we can't possibly know anything about or know everything about. I mean, I'm sure that government knows a bit more about some of that than we do. But to me, it doesn't seem like any stretch of the imagination that 
There could be new species of animals there that we've not discovered to live there in the caves or cavern, excuse me, cavern systems. It's not a real stretch to even imagine that there are um, races of humans that live there, you know, that have adapted over time. Like we, you know, you and I have been around for what, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, give or take. Um, given that the planet is supposedly four and a half billion years old, there's a lot of crap that's gone on here, you know, way before our time. I mean, you know, who's to say that the current iteration of the human race didn't have a, a second grouping that chose to live underground rather than here on the surface? Um, again, not a big stretch of the imagination. And so obviously, if they're living underground, they could very easily develop differently than us. Less light, um, you know, different food sources, um, all of that kind of stuff. If anything, chances are likely that they're probably more healthy than us. <laughs> but uh, anyway, and then, you know, with the idea of aliens, I think it the discussion can no longer be, I wonder if there are aliens. Because there's just too much proof that points to that fact. You know, and it's incredibly egotistical and naive, I think, to believe that we're the only living beings in this universe, you know, or even our galaxy or even our solar system. I mean, talk about being egocentric. You know, humans have had this thing of believing that everything revolves around us, you know, and uh, of course, it's just ludicrous to to honestly believe that. And so, again, no big stretch to think that um, there could be alien races uh, that live under the planet. You know, it's not a big stretch. Now, whether the interior of the planet is big enough to where it's creating atmosphere and um, clouds and all of that, like we've seen uh, depicted in some movies and everything, who knows? I mean, I can't offer you any proof that that couldn't happen. Um, but again, I think it's we would be remiss to just automatically dismiss it as a possibility. Yeah, and like Mark said, you know, even Tarzan went there. So like that alone is proof that something was going on. <laughs> But I mean, if you think about it, um, it seems kind of weird that uh, we would live on the outside of a, of a big ball and then all the rest of the ball is just, you know, melted rock and stuff. I mean, obviously there is molten lava and all of that because we see it with volcanoes. But, um, you know, some theories suggest that there's actually multiple shells if you go down in. And again, I don't know if that's true. Quite frankly, I think it would be kind of badass to find out that something like that existed just to see how they develop separate from us. You know, kind of like in the movie um, uh, Stargate, you know, where they went through the Stargate and there were humans there, but they were on another planet. Of course, they were enslaved, but still. 
um, you know, humans nonetheless, and just developed in a completely different uh, scenario and all of that. So I find it fascinating um, just in some of the different uh, evidence that's been presented. Like one thing that I thought was kind of curious is how pretty much every picture of the North or South Pole is doctored to not show the absolute North or South Pole, which is where the, the uh, entrances supposedly are. So why doctor them? You know, like, why put something out there that obviously has been retouched? If they're, you know, is it just to add to the conspiracy uh, theory? I don't think so. You know, because there have been a few pictures uh, captured that show something. And then lots of other pictures that show absolutely nothing. And if you go to like Google Earth or different things like that, guess what you're going to see? Nothing. You know, yet there's a whole lot of attention being given to Antarctica these days for some very interesting reasons. And um, again, it's just, to me, it's just kind of ridiculous. We, like, if we've only dri drilled down into our planet eight miles, <coughs> and how, how deep is it? 7,000 miles or something like that, the whole way across? I forget what it is. How could we possibly know everything that there is to know? You know, uh, especially given that they've discovered giant oceans under there. I mean, and quite frankly, you don't even have to go down that far to discover some of that kind of stuff. Like, for instance, where I live, in our area, I remember when I was a teenager, um, we were doing something at the house one day, and all of a sudden we kept feeling the ground shaking. Of course, initially you think, is there an earthquake happening here in Upper Strasburg, Pennsylvania? Like, it's just kind of weird. You don't have earthquakes here. Um, but yet the ground was shaking, and then there's these weird noises and all that kind of stuff. So my dad and I went outside, and there was a, uh, a company out of Texas. I think it was a petroleum company, honestly. But um, they uh, were using ground-penetrating radar to look for oil and gas and stuff like that. And so they were coming up through our town, and so they had this giant machine um, that would, they had this heavy metal plate that would impact the ground. And then they had a separate unit that would pick up the vibrations and it would create a, a map of underground. And so, you know, my dad was, curious about what was going on and he was the kind of guy that would just talk to anybody and so um when they were like right out near our house because we lived just as the mountains were starting to rise so um you know it was like literally the foot of the mountains and so we went out and talked to the guy and uh, asked him what he was or first of all what they were doing and they explained and then we asked him what they discovered and um, it was really interesting. He said that um, our entire region where we live was sitting on a giant aquifer of water. And that once you get down, I forget how far he said now, but once you get down past a certain point, we were sitting on several miles deep worth of water. 
you know, which is probably why wells do really well in our area, you know. Um, but it was fascinating to me because, you know, the first thing I thought as a, as a teenager was, man, I wonder what's in the water. Like we would automatically assume, oh, well, it's pure water and there couldn't possibly be life in it or, you know, whatever. But how on earth would we know? You know, like, how could we possibly know? And how did that cavity even get there to hold that much water to begin with? I mean, this area that I live is largely limestone. So it's very soft, very easy to be affected by water. And of course, limestone comes from the compression of microorganisms, um, you know, that were like at the bottom of the seabed millions of years ago. Uh, and I remember uh, whenever Ashley was in school still, we did a science fair project and uh, we decided to focus on um, the geology of our valley. And so I, we collected rock samples from the valley up to the tops of the mountains and both mountains, North and South mountains. And um, it was interesting because all the rock uh, in the valley was limestone. And then as you went further up the mountains, um, it uh, slowly became uh, shale and then, uh, well, slate and then shale. And then there were uh, a lot of sandstone and even some metamorphics um, at the very top uh, on both mountains. And of course we found some fossils, uh, especially in the shale layers and a little bit in the sandstone, but not much. Um, and very, very little in the limestone. Uh, and so we had samples of all of that rock and just kind of laid out what our area could have looked like, you know, millions of years ago and everything. She didn't win, but it was still fascinating to do with her. And uh, so it was a very easy conclusion that um, at one point, uh, the tops of the mountains here were the beach. <laughs> and uh, the valley here was just, you know, the bottom of a lake or an ocean or something. And so I guess, you know, as that all changed and transformed, some of that water needed to go somewhere. It could have gone underground, I guess. But um, again, it needed a place to go, like giant caverns. Um, and so, I don't know, to me, it's just kind of curious. Yeah, Jess says in Star Trek Four, Spock said to Bones, it's only the arrogance of man that believes they are the only ones in existence. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Kathleen says, when I see hollow earth, I think of hollow hills, the legends of Races of the Fae living in the earth are very old. I think John Keel and how his years of studying, interviewing, researching aliens led him to conclude that they are part of the earth as we are and normally exist in another dimension. The original men in black are tricksters, often driving cars that were not produced until a year or two later, for example. Uh, then there was a UK researcher who found out who found that people tend to investigate paranormal phenomena from a preconceived perspective, like ghosts, Virgin Mary, angels, fairies, etc., when the phenomena are really just the same several types of phenoms in different disguises. Um, I'm currently looking for that author. Hopefully I'll find his book when I move. Yeah, let me know if you find it. Um, and I would tend to agree with you. Like, 
and that's probably another one of the reasons why I'm fascinated with this, because as most of you know, um, I'm just really drawn to a lot of the fantasy characters, you know, like um, a lot of them, of course, originate with um, like Norse legend and all of that, but all the different uh, groups have their own legends. And the fact that they permeate um, our story uh, just feeds into um, my personal obsession with archetypes and those kinds of things. Like, all of that had to come from somewhere. It just wasn't somebody eating magic mushrooms, you know, 3,000 years ago and seeing these little creatures running around them. Like, it had to come from somewhere. And if you really dig into... Um, like a lot of the myths and legends, even of the Native American people, almost all of them talk about little people. They talk about coming up from the earth um, or from the sky or both. Um, you know, all of those stories are there uh, and have been for millennia. Well, you can't just dismiss all of that, you know, as well, you know, you know, uh, one too many hits and of, uh, you know, hallucinogens in the, uh, in the tent or whatever. But I don't know, to me, it just kind of gives further credence to the, the notion that it's likely true. Um, and Kathleen also says, I think today Americans, maybe Europeans, perhaps other modern cultures like Japanese are way too literal things don't have to be either literal physically true or not true at all if you accept different dimensions not all physical is reality it explains a lot yeah um i totally agree with you um and so you know if you think about like let's just accept the fact that for for a moment that there aren't just three dimensions like what if there were 10 right physics kind of hints to that fact that there could be at least 10 dimensions. So if you let your curiosity and imagination run wild for a moment, what would that look like? Like if someone was in a different dimension than you or than you are, or was it, I guess another way of putting it that some folks use today is um, higher density beings or living at a higher density. Um, how would that look like? we could literally be surrounded by people right now and just not even know it. And I remember as a kid, I often thought that and it scared the hell out of me because, you know, you think, Oh, well, I'm going to do some, something bad, you know, or I'm doing something bad. And there's likely people in the room watching me do it right now. I just can't see them, whether it's angels or whatever. Like I thought it was all angels back then or demons or whatever. Um, and then I kind of grew up, <laughs> Um, but it, it actually isn't that strange to think about, you know, and it's not like we're being constantly spied on. I mean, even if you, you know, take it down as simple as something like astral projection, you know, so is that just us disconnecting our souls from our body or are we tapping into something else? You know, I mean, there's a lot of things like that. And so, you know, same thing goes with dreams or visions or everything. Is it just the pizza talking? Or are we tapping into another dimension? You know? Um, and, you know, so there's a lot of things like that, that growing up I was told were evil. But why were they evil? 
You know, like who said that certain things were evil or not evil? Well, it's because it contradicts the story that we're told. It's con they contradict the, uh, the status quo. And I think that's probably the bigger issue here rather than right or wrong. I mean, I remember, I think I've shared this before. Of course, growing up in the church the way I did, there were a lot of things that you just don't read or just don't pay attention to, you know, like numerology and astrology and God forbid, uh, you know, you read something that was channeled. <laughs> I remember the first time I, I read a book that I found out was channeled and I was nervous. I mean, I'll be honest with you, like I was afraid I was going to be deceived. Um, I was that, you know, ingrained with all of that stuff. And it was, um, I think it was uh, some of the Abraham writings. And because uh, I've read, uh, like Esther Hicks, you know, because uh, I've read pretty much all of her stuff now. But um, I remember reading it. And as I'm reading through it, I'm thinking, you know, this actually makes sense. And I'm reading it further and it's like, that explanation makes more sense than anything I've ever been told in my life. And it just pushed me further. And then I'm like, you know, this actually may not be bad after all. It actually might be good. Now I'm not to say, it's not to say that, you know, everything channeled is good or bad or neutral or whatever. I'm not saying that at all. I think we have to, and this is a revolutionary thought that I think you all get, and I say revolutionary in quotes because it's not, but imagine a world where we thought for ourselves and made our own choices based upon personal research and discovery. What on earth am I talking about? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine if we all actually did that? Holy cow. We would discover some parallels, of course, you know, like the importance of loving one another. You know, that seems to be a recurring theme that comes up. If we want to actually evolve into a higher sense of ourselves. But, uh, I mean, imagine that rather than just, uh, taking in all the bullshit that we actually research it, uh, to the best of our ability, what would this world look like? Um, and so I remember after reading two of Esther Hicks books, it just kind of opened up my eyes to the possibility. And so then I read, you know, like, um, um, I'm trying to think of some of the ones that I read. Conversations with God, Neil Donald Walsh, which really wasn't channeled per se, but still, um, major, major no-no, you know, to people in the church. Um, the law of one, which is, uh, definitely controversial in some circles and, you know, just different things like that. And what's curious to me is that many of these other writings suggest that, you know, there are beings that live among us or that they live underground. One of the most fascinating things that I've been kind of looking into uh, for quite a while, and Mark, you, um, you've probably researched this knowing what you, you know, knowing some of your interests and stuff, and probably many of you have, is um, crystals. Now, I've always been fascinated with crystals, but um, 
as long as I can remember. Uh, and I think the reason why is because here you have this rock, but you can actually use it to tune in radio stations. Like, what the hell? How's that work? You know, I, it was just ever since I found out, you know, built my first uh, crystal radio. Um, as a kid, I've been hooked. And it, it was one of those things that made me really think and ponder, like, what's going on here? And why does this even work the way it does? And uh, so recently I saw a number of things where, um, well, one of the stories was uh, told by a guy named Corey Good. I don't know if you know him or follow him. Him and um, a few others uh, that I follow. And um, uh, David Wilcock is another one. Um, they're like best friends. But uh, Corey was talking about being in... Um, a crystal cave and as a child he was like taken there or teleported there or something and um he's he's very um very tuned in you know uh, so to speak and one of the reasons why he was there is they um because he was told that the crystals these crystals underground contain the earth's entire history that there are actually crystals are actually a repository for kind of like um, the Earth's internet, so to speak. Is it crystals and it, uh, there's knowledge and information in the rocks, embedded into the rocks, and that they're actually living. Which I believe for a long time that rocks are living. Just because we can't see them move doesn't mean that they're not alive or doesn't conform to our definition of what alive means. But you know. So uh, whenever I read his thing, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, I just um, accepted as fact that it could make sense. But, um, but by the same token, you know, I catch myself at times thinking, so I wonder what knowledge is locked in there and how do I access it? You know, we were at a rock show last weekend, I think, or two weekends ago now. And, uh, man, there were some pretty specimens there i was thinking about you mark <laughs> and how i need to really visit you um sooner than later we're working on that um but i picked up this uh this uh, natural citrine which i have sitting on my desk here and it's a it's a it's not perfect it has a little uh blemish inside which i kind of like but um but it, it, it makes you ask questions like, okay, so if it's a selenite crystal versus a citrine crystal versus whatever, do the, does the information that they contain vary because of the type of crystal it is? Because it's likely that they each have a different vibration, right? Because of the different types of chemical makeup and the atomic structure. So does that mean that they would hold different types of information and how can we access it? You know, like if there are crystals underground, giant crystals that hold the Earth's history, count me in on a trip. <laughs> like I want to be there. I want to figure out how to access it. And uh, so that's just one of the things that I've been reading about recently that I found incredibly intriguing. Uh, Mark says, tune a radio set of watch increment. A crystal matrix could eventually be used as memory storage beyond anything we've ever seen. Yeah, I believe it um, wholeheartedly. 
Jess asks, how many times have they made Journey to the Center of the Earth? You know, I don't know. Um, I've probably seen most of them, though. Just because, I don't know, I think it's a, a cool idea. Uh, Gary says there's a theory that at one time we had a methane atmosphere and as the earth cooled, it rained oil for eons into the glup of the surface and sank into become lakes of oil. We got water from asteroids of ice impacting the earth. Some of those must have been um, sub subsumed by the glup. I, well... Who knows? Uh, and honestly, I think that there's a lot about um, inner Earth studies that we've gotten wrong. You know, like all the oil that we have can't just be produced from a bunch of dead animals and plants. You know? Uh, Mark says, we will never know everything or fill our brains, but it's fun trying. Einstein credited imagination over academics for all of his most relevant concepts yeah that's kind of where i am um you know our conscious mind especially can't handle the data not when we're living life on three thousand bits you know uh, per second or whatever it is um given the amount of data that we're talking about here you know we were talking a couple weeks ago about information in the light and of course, you know, we've also seen where like prisms, which are just a, a carved form of a crystal, can break light down into the seven colors, you know. Um, but it just, like, I believe for a really long time that there is so much more information. Like, I, I've often joked, like, even before I really started into some of this deep thought, um, Back in the days when, you know, I was pretty much a, uh, you know, a poster child for the system, if you will. Um, even then, you know, I always said, made a, a statement, which is kind of silly sounding now, but, you know, I always made the statement, you know, I hope heaven has a really good DVD collection because there's a lot of things in history that I want to spend time watching when I get there. You know, and I would say stuff like that all the time, you know, because I love history and just to find out how things really happen and all of that, you know, because um, who knows? I mean, maybe when we, you know, uh, are completely in spirit, we have immediate access to all that information because we're not hindered by our physical body. Who knows? Um, I'm not willing to discover that just yet, at least this go around. Um, but. There, we're surrounded by information all the time in many more ways than what we realize. I mean, I've even thought in the past, and I think I mentioned in one of the episodes about how there's stories and information in the rain that falls, in the trees as they blow in the wind, you know, in the grass. Like, things are living, so they're putting out information. And the fact that we can't access it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It just means that we're not tuned in in the right way. And so a lot of times we do access that information through dreams or visions. Um, and, I mean, who knows? Like, maybe to really tap into some of this stuff, we should all go on a 
journey to, uh, you know, to find a shaman to give us all ayahuasca. I mean, who knows? But um, I would probably be game for that. I think that would be interesting. But anyway, um, I'm just not content to believe that it's all BS. It's easier for me to believe that there's some truth to it than that there's no truth to it. Uh, Tony says rocks live like in the film 2001. Um, Carolyn says crystals and consciousness. Uh, Marcy Vogel, MarcelVogel.org. Yeah, one of the books that I'm reading right now is a Cherokee book on crystals, um, which is pretty fascinating. Uh, Mark says, not a theory. Most of that methane is locked into Earth's ice. Yeah, there was just something recently that came out about um, Venus. See, when, when did I read that? It was just this past week or over the weekend, maybe, or something, that um, some new research has shown that uh, Venus was very much like Earth for millions of years with flowing water and an atmosphere and all of that kind of stuff before things kind of went south. Not that we would want to be there now necessarily, but, you know. Um, Mark says, I am all in for the spirit journey. Yeah, I think it would be quite interesting. Oh, interesting. Uh, Kathleen says, uh, just found this on Amazon. Space Age Indians, their encounters with blue men, reptilians, and other star people by Artie Six Killer Clark. Um, Space Age Indians represent or presents the encounters of American Indians who lived from the time when the first human astronauts ventured into space to present day, a time known as the Space Age. Almost all the experiencers interviewed by the author have used computer, social media, and internet to uh, at least to some extent, while their stories differ significantly from those not exposed to all the media information about UFOs and aliens that aliens that did not appear to influence their experience. Over 4,000 accounts that were collected. Well, that's fascinating. So you guys come up with some of the best books and then I go buy them. Which is, I enjoy, of course. I've been reading um, that other book you recommended, Kathleen, the uh, Mother Tongue book. I've been reading through that. It's pretty fascinating. Um, it, If anything, it really substantiates a lot of the beliefs that I kind of developed around the process, but to really see it written out in process has been cool. Uh, Mark says the Bermuda Triangle has a methane story linked to it and airplanes. 
I don't know that I've heard that one. That's pretty interesting. Um, Tony says, I wonder if the spirit journey is a one-way trip or part of a regeneration cycle. Well, if you're talking about the grand spirit journey, I would guess... Like, here's here's kind of where I am right now. And it's... My views on this are in a constant state of flux. Partly because I decide that something is a certain way and then something happens that challenges that. Um, which is frustrating and fun all at the same time. Um... You know, I was always pitched the the idea, as many of us were, that spirits are eternal. And I have no reason to believe otherwise. Um, but, you know, the one problem that I always had was that, you know, we're here on this planet one time, <coughs> and then based on how we live our life and what we choose to believe determines, you know, after we die, whether we go to heaven or hell. And the reason why I have a big problem with that is that in the grand scheme of eternity, if I'm an eternal being, why should I be judged based on, you know, literally a drop in the bucket of time? Um, and especially, you know, for young children or whatever, or I remember, uh, when we were doing a lot with, uh, Native American reconciliation and all of that, you know, you'd hear different people or preachers say things like, you know, how, you know, my ancestors, um, unfortunately would never get to live in heaven because they never, uh, you know, because they didn't believe on the name of Jesus. Right. And, uh, I always challenged them with the idea of, it's like, look, how could my, you know, Cherokee ancestors make a choice if they were never given that choice. Like, it's like, oh, well, Jesus came back 2,000 years ago, and so if sometime in that 2,000 years you didn't get to hear the good news, you're pretty much screwed. Like, that just don't fly with me at all. That's bullshit at its best. And so um, I constantly challenge people on that one, and still do. <clears throat> Although these days I pick my fights more smartly, more for entertainment than anything. But um, so the notion that we're judged based on 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years on this planet, one time shot, I don't know. I just have a big problem with it. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, now, the fact that we could come back again and again and again and slowly grow in our spiritual journey over multiple lifetimes. That makes more sense to me just because of the sheer meaning behind it all. You know, it's like, man, if we could evolve from uh, into perfection in one lifetime, how grand would that be? And maybe some people accomplish that. I don't know. Um, but usually the people that we would look at to accomplish something like that are usually not Christian, and so they go to hell anyway, and, you know, uh, sorry, you know, pick the wrong religion to grow up in. Um, but to me, it makes sense. But then if you go into the whole notion of reincarnation, like, because of convenient amnesia, 
or mind wiping or whatever you want to call it, in many cases, not in all, we don't remember who we were before. I mean, there's plenty of proofs now of children, especially these days, coming back with memories that they couldn't possibly have. And um, so, you know, we're getting to a point where there is a lot of empirical evidence that suggests that it's a thing. Um, but then, to me, like, who's to say that we were just on this planet? You know, what if my last lifetime I was on another planet? Or, hey, since we're talking about hollow earth stuff, maybe I, the last time I was a person inside the earth. Like, there's no way of us necessarily knowing it, but yet, why is it that some people have these incredible insights into certain things that's well beyond what other people have? Where's that coming from? You know, where is this information and data coming from? And so, to me, um, I, I would think that, that because the rest of the earth and the universe and everything that we see is a constant cycle of death and birth, I mean, you think about stars, you think about planets, you think about plants here on the earth, a smart person looks around them at what's going on at face value and asks questions of if this is happening this way here and we see it continually happening over and over again, certain cycles, certain types of flow, certain um, things like that, then why would this one thing be an outlier? Like, if death and rebirth and resurrection and coming back to life and all that is like existent everywhere else in the universe in nearly every imaginable scenario, then why would human beings be an outlier and get, you know, what a one way trip, boom, done? They aren't. They aren't an outlier. You know, we're all part of a larger ecosystem that all functions in a very specific, harmonious way. And so, um, I would venture to guess that we're going to constantly be in a state of growth and flux because like, how can you say that we're growing and evolving spiritually when you don't know what arrival looks like? You know, I mean, that's like trying to get to a location without knowing where the hell you're going. You know, it's like, I'm going to take a trip. Oh, great. Where are you going? I don't know. You know, we'll find out. When I get there, <laughs> you know, how will you know when you're there? I, I guess, I don't know. I just will know. And so, you know, we look at evolution, spiritual evolution as, um, you know, maybe living in a position of divine love or something like that. And that's all well and good. I mean, that, that's a good thing to attain to, of course, you know, as a race of people or whatever. But what about after that? You know, we finally attain perfect love uh, as a race of people, and then we just live in bliss the rest of eternity. That's crazy, too. You know what I mean? Like, that's just as crazy to say that or believe that as it is to believe that we get one shot at this and then we're done. Because just because our brains can't comprehend past that doesn't mean that that's all that there is. And I don't believe that there is all there that is all that there is. There are so many secrets in the universe, um, whether it's multidimensional or otherwise 
that we can't even imagine or fathom, like way beyond anything that we could comprehend. Um, and so if we are explorers, which I kind of see myself as, um, it's going to take millions of years to explore, you know, and figure this stuff out and connect with other groups and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, holy cow, how many millions of years would it take just to visit the different planets that are in our own galaxy? You know, much less all the other galaxies. Millions and millions of galaxies. I mean, hell, we don't even know our own damn planet yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? 90% uh, of our planet is still unexplored. We, haven't, we don't know anything about our oceans. Very, very little. And then to talk about the inside of the Earth, you know, we were like my grandson, um, Christopher, not even day one when he was born. You know, we're still like the little uh, kidney-shaped object. <laughs> you know, that was like an inch across uh, whenever he was like uh, two months in the womb or whatever. That's like where humanity is right now. We don't know shit. And we think we do, you know, and I say that with all due respect. I mean, there's a constant unveiling that's happening, which I love. And um, and of course, we're being called to walk. Uh, you know, walk in love and kindness and all of those things, which, of course, is important. But we've got a long way to go. So. Um, so I think. Uh, that's a long response to your question, Tony, but I think that, uh, you know, in the meantime, anything that we can do to further uh, heighten our understanding of where we're heading is a good thing. I'll, I'll definitely check that out. Kathleen found a uh, thing. It's UFO cow abduction. Beam up your bovine with light and sound. I'll definitely check that out. <laughs> I like weird stuff like that. Carolyn says, uh, physical lifetimes begin to make a lot of sense when you compare them to video games. How much does your activity in a video game influence your real physical life? Yeah, um, computers and video games are uh, really good analogies, I think. Uh, Jess says, okay, I wrote this in an outline years ago when I was in my teens. We are all aliens. We come here to learn things over and over, living as men and women and animals. And then when we are finally good enough, we are allowed to live on our planet. What do you think about that? Well, I could see where there would be some truth in it, but I believe that ultimately... Um, 
the idea of good enough is a man-made structure. That's, that's my personal belief. Now, it's not to say that it doesn't transcend this planet and exist on other planets. But um, the, the notion of being good enough is a control mechanism that is used to keep us in place. That's why hell was invented. Um, you know, all of that was just to keep us in place. And so who determines whether we're good enough? Like who, who calls that shot? And unfortunately, a lot of people live in the shame of all of that, believing that they're not good enough. When in reality, perhaps they are. Like, who are you or, you know, a pastor or, you know, a professor at college or whatever? You know, who are they to tell me I'm good enough or not? And who makes that rule? Somebody else? who may not be good enough. Like, I think it was Einstein that said, I forget exactly how he worded it now, but it was, um, um, it takes, I forget how he worded it, so forgive me um, for not getting it right, but something to the effect of that the, 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 the knowledge used to solve a problem has to be different than the one that created it. Or it wasn't exactly like that, but that was the essence of it. And um, so I look at it the same way. Like, if if the rules are uh, for what's good enough are created by men on this planet or by beings on another planet or whatever, then who determined what's good enough for the creators of those rules? Or did they just make themselves up as mechanisms of control? You know, so um, I do, though, having said that, I do believe that we're here to learn and grow. But that the growth isn't um, propelled forward based on whether we're good enough or not or right or wrong. Because as I've said before, right and wrong is subjective. You know, what's wrong for me might be right for you. Um, and so um, they definitely exist. We see it. Uh, we see opposites all the time, yin and yang and all of that. Um, but, you know, as you know, I'm more of a big fan of cause and effect rather than right or wrong or good enough. And so from a cause and effect perspective, how do you determine what's good enough? When you get the proper reaction? You know, I don't know, something to think about. I'll have to check that. Uh, Kathleen says uh, Amazon has apparently done away with save for later items in the shopping cart. 600 items all gone. I'll have to check mine because I have a bunch in there too. And I was reminded recently, <coughs> within a couple of weeks ago, buy a little something for yourself. Here's a, uh, a sewing machine. Here's, you know, whatever else I had on my save list. Maybe they just uh, combined it into the wish list and stuff, perhaps. Uh, Tony says, we've been around for over 3,000 years now. Given the advances made in the last 100 years, why did it take so long? 
I'm not convinced that it has. I mean, there there's some new discoveries that suggest that humans have been on the planet for 12,000 years plus, maybe even up to 120,000 years. And whenever you look at some of the sites like uh, Gobekli Tepe, um, Gobekli Tepe in Turkey and different places like that, that predate pretty much everything that we've been familiar with, um, you know, we automatically assume that back when ago means unadvanced and today means advanced. When in reality, you know, we've all heard the stories about Atlantis and stuff like that and how they had uh, higher technologies. Uh, maybe the technology wasn't a computer per se. They might have understood technology differently than we do. But I'm not 100% convinced that we are advanced compared to the past races. I mean, in our eyes, we think we are because we can point to things that suggest that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we are. Yeah, Mary says it's like measuring infinity. It extends beyond measure. Um, enjoy this mind meld, expansive, while focusing on the minutia of daily living. Yes, with kindness, my word of the year. Yeah, that's the one thing, you know, um, love, kindness, joy. We have to embrace those things. <laughs> Gary says, at least you won't be burned at the stake for having such thoughts. Not heresy, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, <clears throat> I guess at a certain point in time I would have been, huh? They'd have hauled me off in James. I'd have had the cops beating down my door by now. Thank you, Carolyn. Uh, Carolyn says you can't solve a problem from the same level that created it. Right. And Tony says that thinking that God is here won't necessarily get us any further. Exactly. Um, and Mary gave the actual quote, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Exactly. Um, Kathleen says, uh, modern humans with brains like ours have been around for approximately 300,000 years. Well, I know that there's, uh, proof that like we hunted woolly mammoths and stuff like that. And, uh, I have no problem believing that. And I think that it's likely that some of those folks were a lot smarter than we would give them credit for it. To me, whenever I see like, uh, talks about Neanderthals and early human history and all that kind of stuff, I always chuckle because it's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Of course, you're going to make everything else seem inferior to who you are today. I mean, that just, of course, why not? That's easy. When in reality, you know, humans a quarter of a million years ago could, if they saw us today, they might be enthralled by our gadgets, but think, you know, you guys think you know everything and you know nothing. Like back then we could talk to the trees and the rocks and you can't even hear them now. And so, you know, what really is technology? 
Yeah, exactly. Tony says older technology might have included the pyramids being power stations or whatever they really were. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah, Mark brings up a really cool point. Um, infinity goes on between the numbers, too, because the distance between any two can be halved. The infinity within. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great way of putting it. And uh, let's see, Kathleen says, many traditional cultures value their ancestors, even revere them. They appreciate that knowledge was passed down through people who had no ways to, no way to keep records. Yeah, that's one thing that I feel like we've lost. You know, I mean, we have the Internet of all things. Including those uh, traditional cultural pass downs, but. I don't know, we've lost that somehow. Yeah, Tony says uh, the Neanderthals were smart enough to survive to be part of our evolution. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and Carolyn says, North America, the past 300 years, confluence of warm climate plus historical factors plus political factors. We had some beginnings of science and industry uh, plus raw resources plus a developing political system that encouraged industrial development. Yeah, but if you if you look at that, um, I think a couple of weeks ago we talked about different people who were outliers in those systems, like uh, Einstein and Tesla and um, different ones like that. Um, uh, oh, what's the other guy's name? Walter Russell. Yeah. Walter Russell, and there's many others. Um, it it kind of makes you, like, those guys were responsible, and there's women in there, of course, as well. They were responsible for leaps. Like, it, like technology, in some respects, didn't just gradually increase. There were, there were major leaps. And what's curious to me about that is that a lot of those leaps, as you research them, uh, a large percentage of them came through dreams and visions. You know, um, that's not normal evolution uh, from an industrial perspective. So, like, where did that information come from? You know, did it come from the ether? Did it come from aliens? Did it come from our former lifetimes? Did it come from people inside the planet? I mean, like, where did it come from? It wasn't just, you know... Walter Russell's a really cool guy, so we're going to give him these insights into the wavelengths of light. You know, <laughs> like it just, like who would have chose that? You know, or was it just that 20 lifetimes ago, it was planned that he would be, he would receive that information at the right time and interject it into humanity? Like, we just don't know in a lot of those areas, but it's fun as hell to think about. So anyways, it's 11.11, according to my time, which seems like in a really appropriate time to end things, since 11s tend to point to endings. Um, so 
thank you all very much for joining me here. And uh, I really appreciate all the interaction. It was a fun talk today. And uh, I look forward to hearing more as we interact. I'm not sure what we'll talk about next week, but um, I really enjoy these interactions. And I appreciate uh, all of you being here. So enjoy the rest of your week. And um, we'll reconvene here next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern.